0: Hallelujah. Indeed. Praise the Lord. We have a lot to celebrate these graduates and the uh, just the wonderful church that we have here and the fellowship that we're seeing and the lives that are being changed for eternity for God's healing and provision. We've seen folks who've come through tough times and have been delivered and Just hearing about uh, Laura Tarpley being woken up today for the first time in over a week. She was intubated in the hospital, and Clint Richardson's with us today after a a, a severe wound. It's good to have Clint today. Just amazing to see how the Lord provides and the Lord continues to to move in our midst. I love when the role is called up yonder, too. My wife didn't sing that apparently in the Methodist church where she grew up, but uh, man, that's a good old Southern Baptist favorite. We sing that. As a kid, all the time, I I couldn't wait for my voice to change so I could sing the bass part. You know, that was a big deal when I hit 14, finally. Two weeks ago, we began this series on evangelism, sharing the good news that we have as Christians with others to celebrate all these things that we just said as being from the Lord, the good news, first and foremost, of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I told you in that first sermon that I was going to try to avoid the word should, right? I don't want to berate us. I know that evangelism is one of those topics that can stir up a lot of anxiety and even guilt when we combine it with words like should. So if you're like me, you don't like being told what to do, maybe. My, my wife and I both uh, have a real problem. We're very averse to uh, anyone trying to tell us how we should do something or that we should do something, and once again, I see where my kids get it from. I mentioned this past week, past Sunday, how I, I questioned everything my parents told me as a kid. I would always ask why whenever they told me to do anything, and I wanted us to examine last week why evangelize, and I hope that we saw together about God's special plan to use his covenantal people to blessed the world, that we as the church have an essential role to play in the mission of God to redeem this fallen creation back unto himself. And our role in that mission begins with evangelism, proclaiming the gospel to all creation. And while I, I hope that that was a compelling reason to motivate us to, to go out and evangelize. I realize that it, it may not be that obvious, maybe, the, the connection between God's mission and, and, and the coworker of yours who's lost in searching for meaning, for truth in their lives. You may not have less left here last week deeply burdened for your nephew who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you, you didn't feel compelled to offer to pray for your server at at lunch, maybe we need to get a little more personal. So today I I want us to get a little more deep, a little more inward searching in our hearts and talk about what we see when we look inward. Because real effective evangelism must start in our hearts. So I I want us to, to examine what it looks like to be an evangelistic church like I hope Woodmont will be. And if we do that, then we must learn to cultivate hearts that become fertile soil for the seeds of evangelism to grow. So we're going to read through a beautiful passage from God's Word. It may be a familiar passage for some of you. I think I actually preached on it over a year ago, the same passage, but it's so important for evangelism. And as we read, I want you to listen for the, the truth that you see in this text that describe evangelism, sharing the good news with others. So let's stand, if you're able to today, in honor of God's Word. As I read our, our text, the inspired words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11-21. through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is one of my favorite passages in the Scriptures. As my my college mentor would say when we read a a passage like this, "Mm, that's rich. It's So rich. It's good stuff in here. Let's just walk through it some together, okay? Starting in verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, it always bothers me whenever preachers or teachers start with a a verse that says, therefore, because that verse is predicated on everything that comes before it, right? So let's look back at verse 10. What, therefore, what? Verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul is convinced of the reality of a future judgment. The entire Bible bears witness to this truth. We don't like to talk about it, and a lot of theologians have done away with this idea. But if we are going to claim to be people of the Bible, then we must acknowledge the fact of divine judgment for sin. That judgment engenders this feeling in Paul, it's a constant feeling of awe and reverence for the Lord. You know, the biblical phrase for that feeling of of awe and reverence for the Lord is the fear of God. It's not a scared kind of fear like, oh, God's going to zap me. That's not what it is. It's a proper understanding of who God is and who we are. That God is holy, that He's just, that He's sovereign, and that we indwell this flesh that is more flawed and broken than we could have possibly imagined. That's what fear of the Lord entails. So it's because of that reality of of who God is and who we are that Paul says in verse 11, therefore, because we know this proper reverence for who God is and who we are, because of that and because of the divine judgment to come, we therefore persuade God others. We seek to persuade. I love that word, persuade. Paul doesn't say we, we seek to manipulate others. He doesn't say we try to scare people from, from hell into heaven. He doesn't say we, we coerce people into, we, we trick people, we deceive people. No, we persuade. Persuasion involves reason. Persuasion involves an internal conviction. Evangelism is, is sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with others with an aim to persuade them, to convince them with appealing to their reason, to their logic, to their fundamental understanding of how the universe works. We talked last week about how evangelistic people have to be open for comparison. We have to be open to the challenge of the many competing truth claims that our culture puts forth as good and valid. We have to be open to compare those and to challenge our own faith. And this persuasion that we aim for in evangelism is is not an argument that we try to win. It's, It's not even... About getting more people to come to Woodmont. That's not why we persuade people. We persuade them because the love of Christ is overflowing in us. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls us. Some versions say the love of Christ compels us. It's the the motivating force in our lives that drives us. Our motivation for persuading others, oh I said should, (laughs) it should be. The motivation for our persuading others should be our love of Christ. I told you I would say should if it was appropriate and helpful. I think it is here. The motivation for evangelism should be the love of Christ that overflows in us. And where does our love of Christ really come from? Why do we love Christ in such a radical, life-changing way? Well, Paul tells us here that Christ died for our sake. When we think about the Gospel, when we think about His sacrificial atonement on our behalf, we see the basis for our love of Christ. When we begin to understand that Jesus loved us when we were not lovable, that He took our place when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, when we were in full and open rebellion against God. He still took our place willingly on the cross, and we cannot help but love Him in response for that. 1 John 4 verse 19 says that we love Him because what? He first loved us. His profound love for us manifested in the cross that He endured for our sake awakens our hearts to respond in love in reciprocal adoration and gratitude. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrates his agape gift love to us. This is amazing love indeed. Just like the old hymn says, "'Died he for me who caused his pain?' for me who him to death pursued amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me this is the the basis for our love of christ and and that love is the fuel for evangelism that amazing love changes everything because when when we're controlled by the love of christ it changes how we live That love changes how we see other people, too. It changes how we view the people around us in our world. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, there's that therefore word again, because of the gospel, we regard no one according to the flesh. You know, it's so easy to fall into the pattern of our culture and value other people based on their outward appearances, based on what we can see about them. That's what our world does to us. It tries to convince us that we need to look a certain way, that the things that we see are what matters. Our home, our car, our clothes, our hair, our body. In our fallen flesh, again, we tend to make snap judgments about those around us, about our neighbors, about our co-workers, even about our fellow church members that are purely based on superficial things. You know, when when Morgan and I moved to our new house here in Nashville uh, about nine months ago or so, we decided to get to know our our neighbors. And so we had just developed a great friendship and relationship with our neighbors in Franklin, and we hated to to move. We knew the Lord was calling us to, to, to move here to Nashville to be in this community, in this area with our people. And so we We made that move, and and Morgan whipped up a, a batch of her famous cookies. She makes amazing chocolate chip cookies, a little sea salt in there. You know, it's just perfect. She made five plates, and she took some colored cellophane and put a bow on it. They were beautiful. And we marched our three kids out the front door, and we walked to our neighbors' houses and started knocking on doors. And not one house opened their door to us. At one house we went to, we could actually see people moving around in there. We're like, hey, and they wouldn't open the door. And of course, my you know, jaded, cynical self said, these snooty Nashville neighbors, they're just unkind and unloving, and they don't want any part of real relationships and friendships, and so I kind of wrote them off as just being you know, jerks. <laughs> but just this past week, One of our neighbors, the the house right next to us, who I never have met, never really tried to have met outside of that one day, came knocking on our front door, and she had in her hands a crystal vase with the most beautiful bunch of pink peonies. They are these massive flowers that were probably a dozen of them that were at the peak of their bloom, and she said, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm sorry it's taken this long to meet you, but I wanted you to have these for your family. And I said, goodness gracious, come on in. And and I introduced her to, uh, to Morgan actually already met her, of course, and and so we talked for a while, and, and you know, I was thinking maybe this is an evangelistic opportunity, maybe I can share Christ with her. And we were talking about her son, and she said, yeah, he just graduated from Baylor, he's got a great job in Texas, but the thing I'm most proud of is how he walks with his Lord Jesus Christ, that he met his girlfriend on a mission trip, that he is pursuing Christ with with all that he is, he's a leader in his church, and and that's what what I'm most proud of. And I said, praise God, praise God for that, that's amazing. And we just thank the Lord together. And now this lady that I once regarded as cold and, and maybe unloving and unneighborly, now I consider her to be my sister in Christ. Someone who I trust, someone who I'm grateful to live next to. We're so glad that she took the time to come over and introduce herself to me. You see, I, I, I think I'd written her off as a recluse maybe, maybe a snob at worst, and, and now she's my sister, and I, I think we're gonna get together for dinner soon with her husband. God's teaching me to see my neighbors not according to the flesh with what I can see, but to see them how Jesus sees them, as beautiful, valuable, creatures who are made to reflect the image of God to the world. Every person that we encounter in our day is precious to the Lord. They have deep, intrinsic value that is more than what we can see. It goes beyond the superficial things. They matter greatly to the Lord, which is why Jesus said the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one, because that one sheep is also incredibly precious to him. At the same time, though, every person that we meet, like I said, is also deeply flawed. They bring issues and baggage to the table. They've sinned. They have rebelled against God. They've chosen their own way over God's way. No matter how put together they may appear or or be superficially presenting. This is why Christians aren't enamored by people. We're enamored by God, who's high and holy. We shouldn't fall into the cult of personality of anyone other than the personality of Jesus Christ. But in a culture of evangelism, we don't emphasize the brokenness of people, the fallen nature of people. We emphasize, if we're going to be evangelistic, what they can become. Verse 17 says that all of us deeply flawed humans can actually become brand new. We can be restored. We can be recreated. We can be completely transformed by the power of the gospel. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. When someone is plunged beneath the waters of baptism in our Baptist tradition, it's a beautiful symbol that they have died to the life of sin and death forever, and they've been resurrected with Jesus into a whole new kind of life. It's a beautiful picture. They now stand redeemed, renewed, recreated into a whole new person. We should never write anyone off like I had done with my neighbor. We should always be mindful of what they can become in Christ, a new creation. This passage closes with a clear call to Christ followers to evangelize exactly what we've been talking about. We've been commissioned by Christ with the ministry of reconciling others to Him. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, the whole gospel is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, Paul's preaching. He's an evangelist. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These are great instructions for us as we think about evangelism, as we think about how we should speak about Jesus in this world. We should do it as ambassadors. I've talked about this before, but it really is a perfect analogy. Ambassadors are sent from their home country to live in a foreign country as representatives of their homeland. They seek to advance the interests of their home country while residing in a foreign country. This world is not our home. You know that? For Christians, this world is not our home. We are sent here to advance the interests of our home country. For Christians, the gospel is our agenda in this world you know ambassadors are not spies everybody knows who they are they drive around with little flags on their car from their home country they're not ashamed that they're from whatever country they're from they proudly represent that country openly and honestly in a foreign nation god has reconciled us us fallen people to himself and made us one with himself through christ and now He's entrusted to us this ministry of bringing others to himself. We're sent here to this foreign land to represent his agenda, the agenda of the gospel. So now we proclaim to this fallen world that sinners can be reconciled with the high and holy God, the creator of the universe, the one who made us and made all of those around us how can they be made right? It says here that God made a way. He made a way for sinners to be made right. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that he could take the punishment and put to death the sin and suffering that we should have received in order to make us one with himself. And ambassadors can be good ambassadors or bad ambassadors, right? A a bad ambassador just hangs out by the pool, right, and, and soaks up a little local culture maybe. They're, they're basically a tourist instead of carrying out the mission of the country that they've been sent to. Now I fall into that pattern sometimes of coming to church and say, oh, I didn't like that song, or I didn't get a lot out of that. That's a tourist mentality, isn't it? We have an agenda of sharing the Gospel. And I'm proud of that. I need to remember that we're here to do a job. Ambassadors exist to deliver a message, the message of their sending nation. They must therefore be bold and be clear and constant in their delivery. They don't make up the message, they just faithfully deliver what they have heard from their own sending nation. They also don't get to determine the response. The response is not up to them. A faithful ambassador is only responsible to deliver the message. The response is up to God, of course. And the key to all of this is love. The love of Christ that compels us to love others. People say all the time, and I've heard this at Woodmont, oh, we just need to love people. We just need to love people. Okay, right, absolutely, I agree. We need to love people. But the devil is in the details, right? What does it truly mean to love someone? with the love of Christ. When love of Christ controls us, what does that look like in practice? Well first we have to define Christian love. We have to define what we mean by love. The the Bible teaches that Christian love is wanting the best for the other. Love seeks the flourishing of the beloved. Love necessitates sacrifice and and gives and gives constantly in order to see the beloved thrive. So if I love Trey, and if I see Trey walking across Hillsborough Road, and he's got his earbuds in, and he's got his hat pulled down, and he's got a huge theological tome, which he always is reading, right, some great book of of theology, And, and he decides to just walk over to Starbucks and and he's, you know, it's 4 p.m., and there's 35,000 cars that pass our building every day, if you didn't know that. And, and so, Trey's walking across the street. If I love Trey, I tackle him, right? If I love Trey, I push him out of harm's way, because that's what love looks like. Love doesn't say, cool, Trey, go for it. Have fun. Good luck. You got it. You'll do great. That's not loving. It's not loving for me to tolerate his dumb decision to cross the street, Uh, reading his textbook love is not tolerance love is greater than tolerance when we engage someone who's heading for harm love says that we seek to bring them back gently and respectfully but we bring them back to safety where they can flourish as God would have them to do because we believe that God's best is the best and we therefore want God's best for all of those around us. I want to close with a video that makes this point well. It's a video blog done about 10, 12 years ago by a famous magician named Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. And he's an outspoken atheist. And you may say, why would you show a video of an atheist? Well, he makes this point very well about how love is, is greater than tolerance and how tolerance will not do for us as Christians. Let's watch this, this four-minute video.
1: I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side. He said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show in my wife, and I went, and he was very complimentary about my use of language, and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it, but he said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of... Uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary it wasn't in any way it didn't seem like empty flattery he was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, Uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, But I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say.
0: Wow, makes the point well, doesn't he? He said in that video that he says that uh, the guy waited patiently, he complimented Penn without empty flattery, he looked him in the eye, he acted sanely, he wasn't defensive, he was kind and honest. But the quote that really moves me to, to almost tears is he says, If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, and you think, well, it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This guy cared enough about me, Penn said, to proselytize. The love of Christ controls us. It compels us to share with others this good news that we have. The question is, do you and I love other people enough to tell them? Do we care enough? Do we love them enough to risk social impropriety? The love of Christ knew no bounds and went to the depths for us. Will we love others like Christ has loved us and risk? more and more for Jesus in order to see believers become connected to him through the reconciliation of the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We're so thankful for the love that you have shown us in the cross. God, you have redeemed us when we were unredeemable. You have forged a way for us to be made right with you now and for eternity. For that, oh God, we thank you. God, we we pray that you would convict us, that we would not sit back and yawn while our neighbors go to hell, that we would be moved by compassion, by the love of Christ that compels us to share the hope that we have, to share this good, good news, the best news, that we can go from death to life, that we can have the abundant life that you came to bring us. May we not keep that to ourselves, but may we share it with others joyfully, gladly risking socially, gladly risking capital of relationships in order to see them become redeemed like we are, oh God. Lord, I pray that we would see the waters of baptism stirred here at Woodmont, that you would convict people's hearts in this community around us here at Woodmont and in Green Hills and beyond to find the true hope and peace that comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts to evangelize in order to see that happen. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation and response now. If you have never accepted the free gift of salvation that God offers to us in Christ Jesus, there's no better time than to start right now. I'd love to talk with you about it right now during our invitation time. If you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit moving in your heart today, if the hound of heaven has been pursuing you in such a relentless way that you know it's time to surrender and to give your your life, your soul, your all to Jesus Christ, then come forward and talk to me about that today. If you need to join our church, if you're ready to say, I want to be a part of what God's doing at Woodmont as a member, and to, to be accountable to the people here, to give of my time, talent, and treasure, and invest in what the Lord's doing at Woodmont, we'd love to talk with you about that as well. We're also going to have a time of just prayer and response. I'm going to ask that Jane Bennett would come up, and that Trey would come up as well. If you want to just pray with, with someone here today, these are prayer warriors who will be able to pray with you, or I'll pray with you, either one. Or if you just want to come kneel at the altar and bring your body to where your heart is and come and and kneel and pray, that's open as well. Whatever you need to do during this time, let's stand and sing. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. We are redeemed.